Hello and welcome to another University of Oxford podcast, this time concentrating on the topic of history interviews. I'm joined today by two colleagues, Catherine Holmes, who's history tutor at University College, and Mark Mulholland, who's a history tutor at St Catherine's College. Good morning. Uh, Can I, uh, first of all, I think, ask you, Mark, um, there's a lot of questions, I think, about why we even interview candidates. Very few other universities do. So what is it that makes it important for Oxford to have a chance to talk to students directly? Well, I think it's important for Oxford because of the way we teach. Uh, We teach through conversation uh, to quite a considerable extent uh, in the tutorial system, which is um, the distinct feature of the degree at Oxford. Uh, We'll be a tutor and one or two students, and we'll talk about a week's work. We'll talk about an essay a student will have written. Uh, So this kind of um, conversation is an important indicator uh, for us about those who would benefit uh, from the degree at Oxford. And the degree, uh, or the interview, allows us, if you like, just to try that out, to have this kind of conversation and get a sense of um, how the student, um, how the candidate uh, would benefit from and engage with the Oxford degree. And Catherine, I think it's fair to say that for many students this might be the first time they've ever had an interview and they might not have any clue as to what format that's going to take. I mean, one assumes that it's going to be in a tutor's room. Yes, it will normally be in a tutor's room and um, a tutor's room is the room where they work day to day Um, and so when you go into the tutor's room you might you know encounter lots of shelves with books on um, desks with papers on Um, generally speaking people try to tidy up their office before they give the interviews Um, but there'll probably be quite a lot of chairs around the room Um, and sometimes I know candidates get a bit worried about which chair do I sit in Um, and usually either the tutor um, will indicate which chair you need to go to um, or will just say take a chair and literally take any chair Uh, there isn't the right chair and um, it doesn't matter where you sit on the chair um, you know what your 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 positional sort of features are Um, we're just interested in what you have to say Um, I mean, as far as how many people will be in the room, I mean, usually two tutors, sometimes just one. Um, Occasionally, if you get an interview at a second college, particularly if it's late on in the interview process, you might meet as many as three tutors, but that's quite rare these days. And they're not going to be sitting there in full academic dress? No, they won't be wearing gowns. Um, I mean, just as we don't mind what you wear. Um, when you come as a candidate. So, you know, people can come in jeans or they can come in their school uniform or they can come in a suit um, or, or, you know, a smart skirt. We're absolutely um, open to any sort of form of dress. Equally, the people into doing the interviews um, could be wearing um, relatively smart stuff or they could be re- wearing relatively casual mm. gear. There's no dress code on either side. So I guess the, the technique for the candidate is to dress comfortably. Exactly, yes. Sometimes we actually want students to be there in advance because we want them to to maybe read over some material that's going to be discussed, is that right? That's right. I mean, um, the kinds of things which are discussed in an interview could include um, a piece of written text, um, either an original source document or possibly even a drawing, um, which we might want you to look at for, say, 20 minutes, 25 minutes in advance. Um, If that's going to happen, um, then the college at which you're being interviewed will tell you that um, and will get you to arrive at the interview 20, 25 minutes early um, and will tell you where you need to sit to consult the document. Um, But that's just one of the the sorts of things we do in, in, in interviews. Mm. And I'm guessing, Mark, if we are going to be giving candidates material to read, the chances are we're going to mix it up a little bit. It's not going to be the same document necessarily to every candidate. 
to make sure that people aren't sort of passing information on to each other? Well, that's the likely thing. I mean, normally somebody would be given a passage to read maybe 20 minutes or half an hour before an interview. Uh, it does vary from college to college. Not all colleges will do this. Some colleges will. The important thing is that if you're called for an interview to a particular college, they will let you know well in advance uh, exactly what's expected. And all of it is designed um, to get the best out of the interview. Um, none of it's designed, if you like, to trip people up. Um, there's no kind of um, hidden test um, in these uh, pieces of work people will be asked to look at. Uh, rather, it's a way to open up a conversation uh, in the interview. And it's quite possible, I guess, Mark, that um, it will be material that students are unfamiliar with. We wouldn't necessarily go for something that's a kind of fairly standard A-level text or uh, something material that they would have been expected to come in touch with on their day-to-day studies. Absolutely. It's unlikely to come from a textbook. Um, it's designed, really, to um, allow people to... Um, open up questions which arise straight out of the extract. Therefore, it doesn't rely upon people having extra knowledge or background knowledge. So everybody will be on a level playing field if they are, are if they do have a piece of work to have a look at. And there'll be no right answers or wrong answers. There'll only be intelligent and engaging ways of looking and reading at a piece of historical work. Um, so just um, if it comes up, people should just talk about what they think is relevant, what might be important in the text, and not to worry about whether they're getting things absolutely right or absolutely wrong. And Catherine, uh, one of the other things I think many students will be worrying about is that they will have taken, as part of their application to, to Oxford, the History Aptitude Test and they may be trying to furiously remember what it is they said because they're worried that it's going to come up in conversation at the interview. That won't happen. I mean, one thing that the faculty made uh, very clear when we set the test up was that the test was something you took um, and then it was put away and we mark it and so on. But the, the issues that come up in the test, the texts which are set that you have to comment on as a candidate, none of that will be discussed in the interview. Um, so it's not something that you need to worry about as a candidate or need to discuss with your teachers or anything like that. Um, it's just something you can put to the back of your mind. I think many candidates will be very relieved by that. Um, can I just then go on to talk about some of the things that we might want to ask uh, a candidate at interview? I mean, certainly, if you read uh, the newspapers, you would get all sorts of weird and wonderful kind of concepts about uh, Oxford's approach to history. Um, for example, according to the Daily Telegraph, someone has been asked in history interviews at Oxford in the past questions like, why are you sitting in this chair and why did Henry VII call his son Arthur? I mean, is this the sort of thing that people might suddenly be confronted with the minute they walk in the door? I think that's extremely unlikely. Um, I mean, I know that sometimes these questions are recorded and then get passed on to the press, but I think it's important to remember they've probably been, if they've been asked at all, they've been taken out of context. Um, or they're just questions which the interviewer has framed badly, and it's perfectly within your rights as a candidate to say, I'm sorry, I don't really understand what you're getting at, and the interviewer will reformulate the question for you. Um, but I think the kind of question one can expect when one comes in the room, whether uh, you're going to be asked about a document, or whether you're going to be asked about the written work you've sent in, which is quite common, or whether you're asked about some of your historical interests that you might have talked about in your UCAS form, However the interview starts, and it could start in any of those places, the question is going to be quite open um, and is going to allow you room um, to give um, a full and an imaginative answer, mm. in a sense. Um, and then 
in the way of conversation, as Marcus described it, I mean, an interview is about a dialogue. It's about progressing from one place to another. The interviewer may start asking different sorts of questions um, which are relevant and help to guide the discussion. Indeed. I mean, why Henry VII called his son Arthur is not going to be the first question um, in an interview on the Tudors. A more likely question is going to be, um, well, how do the Tudors go about establishing um, their authority, their legitimacy, given that they are a new dynasty? Mm. And I can sort of see then that several questions down the line why you call your sons certain names might become relevant. Um, but you're not going to be hit with an out-of-the-blue question like that to begin with. And if you are, um, you know, just ask the interviewer um, what they're driving at, yes. um, and that will help them reformulate their ideas. And, Mark, I think another concern that candidates might have is that the interviewer, as a specialist in a particular period or aspect of history, will only be focusing questions on their particular specialism that isn't the case, is it? No, in an interview we always want to talk uh, to you about the subject that you're interested in, what you've been doing at school or college, or uh, indeed what you might have been reading in your spare time. Um, it could be from textbooks, it could be from magazines you've been reading, uh, it could have been because you've been on a holiday and you got interested in the history of the country you've uh, visited, or it, uh, whatever it happens to be. Obviously we'll also discuss um, any a, um, submitted essay work, which uh, if we've asked you to submit essay work, and in history we do, uh, we'd talk about that, but of course any interview candidate will know that's going to be talked about. Um, or if you, if somebody has written in their personal statement on their OCAS form um, that they're interested in such and such a book, then we'd obviously very happily talk about that. And finally, the interview candidate can say, I'd really like to talk about something about the Second World War or something like that. And any interview can, any interviewer will go, great, we'll talk about that. And then we begin uh, a discussion on it. But I think it's, it's important for candidates to appreciate that that doesn't mean that they can almost pre-script the interview. My experience of observing interviews is that interviewers are very, very adept at mm. spotting the kind of prepared statement. Is that your experience as well? That's right. Um, if someone comes in with a prepared statement, um, you sort of allow them about a, a, a few seconds on it and then say, well, let's take your first point um, and explore that. Mm. So if you have prepared a statement, um, it is a little bit of a, a waste of time. What isn't a waste of time is to think through the ideas that you have both about the work that you've submitted, but also about any work that you're doing at the moment that really interests you. Or if you have, in your UCAS statement, said something along the lines of, I've read this book or that book, and I find it interesting. Um, this is something, as Mark says, we might want to pursue. So to have some sense of what the historian's argument is. I mean, I think that's a crucial point. Um, it's not that we're going to say, um, you know, did Hitler invade Russia on Monday or Tuesday? It's going to be, you know, well, why, did, why, why does this historian think that this mm. happened, um, and and get into a discussion in that kind of way. Um, so if you're if, if if you want to prepare for interviews, it's much better to think about why you want to do history, and what it is about the interests you have, um, which really engage you. And what happens if they can't answer a question, Mark? I mean, is there well um, anything we can do? <laughs> well, most questions will be posed in an open kind of way. Uh, they'll be like, what, why do you think something happened? Mm. And many people, I think, sit there and they uh, may be thinking, well, I've got this idea, but I don't think it's a very good idea and I don't want to say it. It's always a good idea just to spit out whatever you say. Uh, it may be right, it may be wrong, but it'll lead a conversation on. So the questions will tend to be open questions. 
Um, there tend to be questions designed to encourage a discussion. Mm -hmm. So if you're arguing, for example, that, oh, I think the Cold War developed because of American attitudes, the interviewer would probably say, well, what about these reasons which would suggest it's Russian attitudes that's caused the mm -hmm. Cold War? And that's just inviting a dialogue. It's not trying to get you to admit something or mm -hmm. to come to a preordained uh, right answer. Um, so usually, if you just think about it for a few seconds, sit back, you can put out an idea. Um, mm -hmm. Even if that idea doesn't fly, it doesn't matter because it's a discussion in which, um, in discussion, we're always putting forward ideas and then withdrawing them or reformulating them or thinking about them again. If absolutely you cannot think of anything to say, um, uh, and of course this does happen in interviews, then you simply say, oh, really, I, I, I can't think what I would say about that or I don't have an answer to that. Mm. And the interview, interviewer will go, oh, that's fine, and start a new approach. This does happen in interviews, and um, there are times where, where we don't have an answer to a question, and that's perfectly fine. I think that's an important point, that mm. some of the questions we're asking, we don't really know the answers to. Um, and, you know, historical inquiry is about exploring difficult questions for which there is no set answer. Mm. Um, and a, maybe a, a related point is that when we ask questions at interview in Oxford, um, we're not trying to, as Mark says, trip students up, nor are we trying to say that what they're doing at A-level or the conclusions they've come to at A-level are wrong or that their teachers are wrong. All we're trying to do is to take the discussion to another level yes. um, and to try and explore other possibilities, um, which is in the nature of historical inquiry. And as I've said before, we don't actually know whether those answers are right ourselves. I think a lot of students maybe worry that if they don't appear to be answering particularly effectively, then that's it, and they almost kind of give up in the middle of the interview. My, again, experience of observing is sometimes, you know, just ploughing on, you can suddenly hit your stride, you know, 10, 15 minutes sometimes into the interview, and then suddenly it all, all goes good. I don't know, have you had experience of candidates who've, who've kind of started off badly and then and then it's all, all come good later on. Well that's right and a candidate also will have at least two interviews so you get two bites uh, at the apple if you like and um, interviews like any conversation it can mm. take off halfway through yes. people can come in being a bit nervous or perhaps people come in being a bit over prepared mm -hmm. and that can be a problem people can have this idea that they definitely want to say something and then they feel the conversation kind of moving in a different direction which is perfectly fine but it can maybe take a minute or so to get used to that um, before you hit your stride. So the interview is not over until it's over. Um, and if a candidate feels that they're talking about a subject in which they don't feel they're making a great deal of headway and they'd much rather talk about something else which hasn't come up, it is perfectly within their rights to say, I'd really like to talk about such and such a subject. Mm. Uh, now, of course, the interviewer will still challenge them on their opinions and seek a discussion mm. and seek um, to try and move the question on. So you'll never be in a position where you can just present your uh, what you've come there to say it'll always be a discussion but you can certainly say I'd like to talk about such a subject but the main thing is to continue on through the interview to engage as seriously as possible not to worry about if you're going um and ah or not to worry if you think you're not being very eloquent we don't look for eloquence and uh, it can be difficult to judge your own uh, performance in many respects. Um, so the main thing is to keep optimistic, to keep engaged and to give it your best. And really, it's uh, when you walk out of that room, um, you may well feel drained, but you're not going to know exactly how you've done because you can never know how you've done when you're in the middle of it. Um, mm. This is why uh, we have um, the interview process where we've got people who are experienced and trained in judging the capacity of people in an interview. Yeah. And I think it, it, you've, you've raised a very important point there, which is 
the vast majority of other universities, if they are interviewing, it'll be one single interview and everything will ride on it. And Oxford, we've moved very significantly in recent years to a situation where that's not going to be the case. Yes, I mean, you're likely to have two interviews at your first choice college, and then you may well get a second interview um, at another college. And I think the important point there is to realise that that doesn't mean you haven't got into your first choice college. Uh, we're just trying to interview as many people as possible who we think have a, a good chance of getting into Oxford um, and maximising the chances for everyone. And, I mean, it's important to remember that we're not just judging candidates um, on their interview performance. Um, we have lots of other indicators, uh, their UCAS statement, their public examination grades, uh, the reference from their school, um, the written work that they've sent in, their HAT test score, um, and the interview scores. And really what we're looking for is all of the indicators from all of those um, signs pointing in the same direction. Um, and if they start to point in different directions, well then, you know, that, that gives us an opportunity to sort of consider those candidates in even greater depth. Um, so the interview is not a make or break um, situation, and the interviews, plural, are not the only way in which one gets into Oxford. The interviews last, what, 25, 30 minutes? Normally would that be the, the time? It'll vary about from about 20 minutes to about half an hour. But certainly not three-hour interviews or anything else candidates, again, might be concerned about. No, there wouldn't be enough energy on either side, I think, of the interview. So, um, yeah, it's about 20 minutes to half an hour is what you can expect. And because candidates will be down for maybe two, three, sometimes even four days, that leaves time for other activities, I guess. Have you got any suggestions as to how candidates can effectively use that time? Well, I would suggest to people coming to interview at my college that they probably bring some work with them. Um, you know, they're going to have a, a, an undergraduate's room uh, to stay in, so there'll be a desk and that sort of thing. Um, you've got the opportunity to meet other students. I mean, each college will provide um, a, a body of current students to show you around um, and to acquaint you with both the college and with Oxford. So you can spend time with other people. You don't just have to be on your own in your room. Oxford has a number of uh, you know, places that one can go and visit, um, some shopping, um, not, it's not great, but there's some shopping. Um, so it, it, you know, there are various ways that you can fill your time, um, but I know sometimes people feel it a bit of a loose end, um, and so there's nothing to stop you bringing um, your work with you if you want to. Um, you know, a degree of preparation for the interviews that you're going to go into, but on the other hand, as Mark says, if you're too over-prepared, um, then sometimes you know, the interview can take you by surprise if it goes off in a different direction. And Mark, would you advise that they spend their time quizzing other candidates who they're, they're, they're kind of up <laughs> against, so to speak? Well, um, I think the main attitude to have uh, when at Oxford is to try and stay reasonably relaxed whilst obviously focused upon the interview. Um, you won't get kind of secret um, information from other candidates. Each interview will go off in its own direction. Mm -hmm. So interview candidates won't be asked the same um, uh, questions. And even if they go in starting talking about a similar topic, every conversation has its own momentum, has its own direction. So really, there's not, there's not much you can learn from it. The main thing is to try and keep focused upon the interview, but also to relax and to bear in mind that um, the, each college um, a, uh, which people are interviewed at, whether you've applied to that college directly or made an open application and been allocated to a college, and both is perfectly fine from our point of view, the colleges will put a lot, lot of effort to make sure that you can fill those hours in between interviews. Uh, there'll be DVDs playing and um, there'll be outings about the place and there'll be other kinds of entertainments. And also there'll be helpers to make sure you know where to go, where to get where to eat, where your room is, where your interview is and how to get there and all the rest of it. Um, so 
um, try and keep relaxed, try and keep focused on the interview and uh, bear in mind that um, the organisational elements will be, ta will be taken care of and even if there is a slip up, even if somebody is a bit late for the interview, that's not crucially important, that will not have an impact upon our attitude mm. uh, to whether somebody should get a place at Oxford or not. Mm. And I, I think, again, what often we find from candidates who've been down for that period is that it's given them a really good insight into what it's like to be a student at Oxford because it's not just about the interview it's about all the other interactions that take place and yes I think that's true I mean it is I suppose an unusual part of the year yes. because most of the other people that you'll meet will be other candidates yes. um, and you know none of the normal university activities like going to lectures uh, clubs and societies none of this sort of stuff is running um, so it is an insight mm. but I think and particularly if you're offered a place and you haven't particularly enjoyed the interview experience, either the interviews themselves or indeed um, you know, encountering other people at Oxford, you know, I, I certainly would give the place a chance mm -hmm. because I, I, I myself, am, there, there's some similarity between Oxford in the interview period and Oxford as it is during term time, um, but there are also quite substantial yes. differences. And finally, for many of our candidates, they won't be successful. I think it's you know important for us to emphasise that we will be seeing probably three, maybe four times as many applicants as we've actually got vacancies for during that interview period. Mm -hmm. Candidates will then have other opportunities at other universities. Failing to get an offer from us is not the end of the world, is it? No, absolutely. Um, if you um, are not successful after the interview, um, it doesn't mean that you're not good enough to get into Oxford, or certainly doesn't mean you're not good enough to go to university. It means that it's a very competitive field and all our spaces are filled up. Uh, and it is competitive. There are good candidates out there, um, they, um, and we have we take everything to account, and we take the best people. Yes. Um, and every year we always are regretful about the people we have to let go. But it's a regret which is tempered by the fact that um, all the universities are very good universities. Mm. Uh, I myself was not a student at this university. I was a student at Queen's University Belfast, and I have no regrets about that. There are uh, lots of very good universities out there. People can get very good degrees. So I think people. Should look upon the Oxford interview experience as um, something which is an experience. Mm -hmm. um, a, it's something which is interesting, fascinating in its own right. My advice would be that if you think um, you can benefit from the interview, you can benefit, uh, have a good go at Oxford, is to, is to give it a go um, and don't feel that I couldn't bear the tragedy if I didn't get into Oxford. Uh, really, um, uh, it's something people forget about very quickly when they go to the new university and find they can get uh, a fantastic degree experience there. Thank you very much, uh, Mark and Catherine. I think many of students will be reassured by what they've heard today. If you've enjoyed this podcast and don't want to miss the next one, you can sign up to the RSS feed at our website on www.admissions.ox.ac.uk slash podcasts. You'll also find past podcasts on this site. Alternatively, you can subscribe via iTunes, simply search for Oxford University or Pod Oxford and follow the instructions. Thank you very much for listening and we hope you've enjoyed and found this podcast beneficial.